Don't turn it off now. You need this stuff. Tampa Bay's Tantalk Radio Network. Hey, listeners. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Car sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. I'd like to have an argument, please. Certainly. <laughs> have you been here before? No, this is my first time. I see. Do you want to have uh, the full argument, or were you thinking of taking a course? Well, uh, what would be the cost? Well, yes, it's five. It's one pound for a five-minute argument, but only eight pounds for a course of ten. Hmm. Well, I think it's probably best if I start with the one and see how it goes from there, OK? Fine. I'll see who's free at the moment. Uh, Mr. Dubake is free, but he's a little bit conciliatory. Mm. Yes, sir. Try Mr. Barnard, room 12. Thank you. <clears throat> what do you want? <laughs> well, I was told outside. Don't give me that, you snotty face heap of parrot droppings. <laughs> what? Shut your festering gob, you tit. Your type makes me puke. You vacuous, toffee-nosed, malodorous pervert. <laughs> I came in here for an argument. Oh, 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 I'm sorry, this is abuse. Oh. <laughs> oh, I see, well, that explains it. Yes. Oh, no, you want 12A next door. I see. Yeah. Sorry. Not at all. No, that's all right. <laughs> Stupid git. <laughs> is this the right one for an argument? I've told you once. <laughs> no, you haven't. Yes, I have. When? Just now. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Didn't. I didn't. didn't. I'm telling you I did. You did not. Oh, sorry, is this a five-minute argument or the full half hour? <coughs> oh, oh, just a five-minute one. Fine. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, I did. You most certainly did not. Now, let's get one thing quite clear. I most definitely told you. You did not. Yes, I did. You did not. Yes, I did. Didn't. Yes, I did. Didn't. Yes, I did. No, this is an argument. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. It's just contradiction. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. It is not. It is. You just contradicted me. No, I didn't. Oh, you did. No, 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 no. You did just no, then. No, no, nonsense. Oh, look, this is futile. No, it isn't. I came here for a good argument. No, you didn't. You came here for an argument. Well, an argument's not the same as contradiction. Can be. No, it can't. An argument's a collective series of statements to establish a definite proposition. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. It isn't just contradiction. Look, if I argue with you, I must take up a contrary position. But it isn't just saying, no, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. <laughs> Argument's an intellectual process. Contradiction is just the automatic gainsaying of anything the other person says. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. Not at all. No, look. I... Thank you. <laughs> what? That's it. Good morning. I was just getting interested. Sorry, the five minutes is up. That was never five minutes just now. I'm afraid it was. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not allowed to argue anymore. What? If you want me to go on arguing, I'll have to pay for another five minutes. But that was never five minutes just now. Oh, come on. <laughs> this is ridiculous. I'm very sorry, but I told you I'm not allowed to argue unless you pay. Oh, all right. There you are. Thank you. Well? Well, what? That was never five minutes just now. I told you I'm not allowed to argue unless you pay. I just paid. No, you didn't. I did! I did! I did! I did. <laughs> no, I don't want to argue about that. Well, I'm very sorry, but you didn't pay. Aha! 
Well, if I didn't pay, why are you arguing? Got you. There you have it. Is that? <laughs> if you're arguing, I must have paid. Not necessarily. You could be arguing in my spare time. <laughs> I've had enough of this. There you have it. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Hi, everybody. This is Bob Barsha with Fox Sports. Normally, I'm at the racetrack with the Barrett-Jackson auctions for television. But if I'm not, I'm going to be listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I hope you will, too. Okay, listeners, welcome. You are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google, Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studio. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com. If you've missed any of our past shows, you can find our podcast located on our website, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Good evening, Bobby. How are you? Not bad. How about you? Why don't you do the honors and the social media for us? Oh, yes. We are on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Periscope. With uh, Twitter and Facebook, Twitter and Periscope being at NRC on air, and Facebook and LinkedIn being Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Yeah, how about that? Well, hey, guys, I just want to give you guys a heads up. We got a little thunderstorm brewing again, and since we are lightning capital of the world, and uh, we got whacked here about uh, two, three months ago, no big deal, but uh, just in case there's a little... static uh don't fret we'll still be here <laughs> you just might not hear us but if you have access to a computer you might be okay but uh we might light up here in the studio anyway uh last week is the uh that the, might be fun to watch on the camera that might be fun to watch on the camera yeah okay so we're just coming off the second week of the uh probably one of the coolest car events in the country uh maybe the world for that matter and uh monterey car week and i started talking a little bit about it last week but yeah we had a guest on last week lauren fix uh who is the car coach. And uh, don't forget to check out her website. She's really, really, for a lady, for a girl, for a car check, she's real, real knowledgeable. And she's a first-rate uh, journalist. As a matter of fact, a little bit later this afternoon, this afternoon, this evening, on our show, we will have a uh, gentleman that's been in the motorsports journalism world for probably close to 40-some-odd years. So with a little luck, he'll be calling in about the half, the bottom half of the hour, that is. In the meantime, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of rundown of uh, what I started to talk about a little bit last week with the um, Monterey Car Week. Now, I brought in a uh, a, a sample, a sample, a uh, magazine this evening called American Car Collector. And as you guys know, if you follow my show and follow me a little bit, I uh, used to write, and I do once in a blue moon, uh, cover auction analysis reports, or I cover auctions for Sports Car Market slash American Car Collector. Sports Car Market, Sports Cars, American Car Collector is a sister magazine, sister magazine, and there's pretty much American Cars. And then what we do is an auction analysis. We go to the auctions, we watch the cars, we look at the cars, and we write, you know, kind of like a little 500, 600-word uh, uh, little storyline on the car, talking about the car and how it responded and a little bit about it and its condition and so forth. And then you go to American Car Collector or Sports Car Market, which is probably the premier magazine when it comes to um, auction coverage, okay? And not to mention they got some pretty good editorials in there as well. Uh, two other magazines that I read a lot or read a lot or read on occasions, three actually, um, DuPont Registry is here in town. So, you know, if you want to see what's going on in the latest and greatest in supercar world, they've got a lot of those on there for sale. Not much in the way of editorial, but that's not their focus. Grassroots Motorsports, Classic Motorsports, they're out of Daytona. Good friends of ours, Tim Sutter and his uh, gang and his son, family. It's kind of a family operation. They do a real good job covering a lot of uh, sports car stuff, muscle car stuff, uh, auctions, uh, good editorials, good stories on cars and things of that nature. And then, of course, Vintage Motorsport, which is one of my favorites because it's all about vintage racing. And it's it's kind of like a, a magazine. It's kind of like has a lot of history in it. You know, there's always some stories about some cool old vintage cars out of the day. I don't care whether it's something out of the turn of the century that used to run in the uh, Vanderbilt Cup or whether it's an early Indy car, whether it's a race car, the race in Europe, a GT car, a uh, Formula One car, you know, a Trans Am car, anything of that nature. But I happen to have the, uh, let's see, which issue, which issue. I have the September-October issue of uh, sports uh, American Car Collector in front of me, and, and Colin Colmer is out of Wisconsin or Minnesota, someplace like that, a very well-known guy in the world of Shelby's and Boss Mustangs, Cobras, and things of that nature, and he wrote a little article. I didn't get a chance to read it because I just got the magazine today. And it says that the heading on the on the on the 
on the magazine says, Born to Run, Barn Find. And what it is, it's a 1966 Shelby carryover. Now, what a Shelby carryover is, is basically a 65 car, 65 Shelby Mustang, GT350, that they added side scoops and quarter windows. That's really about the only telltale difference between a 65 and a 66. And um, so they, and this particular car happens to be whites. Now, the stripes that go over the top of the car was really an option because back in the day, the story was you could get a Shelby in any color you want as long as it was white. <coughs> Where the name 350 came from, excuse me, is, uh, as the story goes, and I heard this personally from Carroll Shelby, uh, he asked one of his guys when he was standing at the Venice shop, he said, uh, we got to come up with a name. And, of course, you know, he had stripes on it at one point, and he said, well, let's call it the Skunk. And, of course, nobody really dug that name. So he said uh, to one of his employees, and I don't remember who it was, could have been Pete Brock or somebody like that or Ken Miles or uh, maybe even Tweety. And I uh, said, how far is it the back of the building? And some guy said, oh, maybe about 350 feet. That's supposedly a true story. That's coming from Carol's lips himself, and uh, hence the name GT350. Okay, now the 500 is a different story because it was supposed to be 500 horsepower, the big block, which didn't uh, make its way to the market until um, 1967. However, so here's an article. So here's a barn find 66 Shelby carryover. Now, what a carryover car is is a very early. It's it's essentially there's 500 and change. 65 Shelby's made, and there was like 34, 40, 34, between 34 and 40 some odd competition cars, our models as we call them. All the rest of the Shelby's were 5S FM, which is 65 Shelby Ford Mustang. That's what SFM stands for. Um, and the S is a streetcar, and the R stood for race, if you had an R in your serial number, um, outside of a San Jose production car, which they all had that. All Shelby's were 65, 6, and 7. So at any rate, the uh, 66 Shelby, the early, for, I think there was something like 262 of them, 256, somewhere in there. Between 250 and 260 cars were leftover 65s, and they modified those cars and called them, they became what they call carryovers. Some people look for those cars. There's subtle differences between a later 66 and an um, early 66. Now, their 66 official production run started somewhere around 270 or two, you know, after two, obviously after the carryover cars. And most people remember the uh, Hertz Shelby. Now, this is the 50th anniversary of the Hertz Shelby because 50 years ago, the 66 Shelby Hertz car was introduced. And two- googly moogly. <laughs> and the, in 2006, they reintroduced the Hertz Shelby Mustang, which uh, Hertz rental car. Hertz had a program back in the day, and I'm not sure it was initial, initially started in 66. It may have happened before that, but you could actually join the Hertz Sports Car Club, and this would allow you to rent a Corvette. They actually had Corvettes that you could rent and Shelby Mustangs. And I remember growing up in Marin County when my dad would go to the airport, San Francisco International Airport. My dad used to rent cars from Hertz because we had to deal with them in our motel and uh, my dad would never rent a Hertz Shelby. I would see them in the parking lot, though. That is true. I can say I can attest to that. But my dad would always rent like a Chrysler Newport convertible or some big tub because he wanted to rent something different than what he owned, which that made sense, too. One time it might be a Chevelle, then it was a big Impala, then it was a, a Ford Galaxy convertible or something like that. But at any rate, so there's an article about that, and they're saying that this car, barn fine condition, running, driving, but really edgy looking, 160000 Now, Going back to the auctions this past uh, two weeks at uh, at Monterey, the total sales, the total sales of cars was 300 and I think just under $400 um, million. That's million. Okay, 400 almost a half a billion, but let's say 390 It was evidently just shy of what the 2015 numbers were, and some of that's attributed to the fact that the RM auction, which normally has between 120 and 130 cars, they had less than, they had 100 or, or, or somewhere around that number. So they're figuring that there was probably another, you know, 5, 10 million, 15 million, 20 million, depending on what they would have had it consigned, um, worth of sales that uh, was not achieved. And also, I will tell you from my own experiences that the estimate, the auction estimates were relatively high than, um, than originally presumed so therefore a lot of the cars you know if you look at the auction results in the or the auction estimates okay in other words let's say for example like the shelby they would say the auction estimate on the 66 shelby might be 150 to 200,000 well if it actually sells for 160 it's within that range okay so but some of the cars that had let's say 100,000 or 200,000 or 300,000 or a million dollar 
estimate fell short of the estimate. Okay, now in the appraisal world, the world that I'm into, by the way, is uh, we usually have about a 10%, 15% margin. So if the car is worth, if I had to estimate, let's say a $100,000 car might be worth one hundred twenty, one hundred twenty-five thousand. That's realistic, okay? One hundred fifteen, one hundred twenty, one hundred twenty-five thousand. So that's 10, 15, 20% somewhere in that price range, give or take, okay? And, and, and depending on whether you're sitting in a room and there's two guys that want a car really, 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 really bad, you know, somebody's going to wind up with the car. As in the case, as in the case, we were sitting at RM's auction. There was a 1962 Fiat Abarth. Had race history, okay? We're all guessing 80, 90, let's be stupid. Let's say $100,000. Well, there was two guys in that room that bid that car for about 14, 15 minutes. It finally closed and hammered at $270,000. Bobby, we got some music tuned up here, I hear. Yeah, I found some moody blues to put on the turntable. Moody blues. Okay, hey, you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We're going to take a little break here. We'll be right back, and I'll continue my Shelby stories and my my $270,000 A-bar story at RM Auction at Monterey Car Week. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Car sent you. You maybe owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You maybe owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Okay, we're back. New tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And, uh, hey, don't forget to uh, check out our good friends down there at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo. Their number is 727-501-9090. And while we were cruising through uh, West Bay Drive this afternoon, Bobby and I checked out this new restaurant. It's called Island Vibes. Now, truly Island Vibes because the owners, Earl and his wife, Carol, 
are from the islands, are Jamaican, and very, very nice people, very, very pleasant. I believe they have their daughter there that works with them as well, and that is a really cool place. Bobby, why don't you go ahead and elaborate on it, because they were nice enough, gracious enough to give us some jerk chicken and some rice and some other little dessert there. Plantains. And plantains, yeah, I'm not real familiar with that. Which I mean, are I'm, fried bananas. Which are fried bananas. Okay, I'm kind of a, you know, I'm your basic uh, hamburger, steak, meat, and potato kind of guy, but Bobby kind of likes stuff a little bit more exotic, and I know my wife definitely is, but that jerk chicken was excellent. Oh, I mean, was it good? Very, very good sauce. They homemade sauce, mm -hmm. and they barbecue their stuff there. They cook everything there fresh. Bobby, go ahead and give out the data on how people can find out a little yes, bit more about the Island Vibes. And not to mention, if you check out our website, no, not our website, our Facebook page, we got a little uh, little, uh, little, picture. little picture of them there on, uh, on our Facebook page, Nostalgic Renewing Cars. So go check that out. But Bobby, go ahead. Yes, um, you should definitely, if you're traveling down West Bay Drive, or you just need to go travel down West Bay Drive and find Island Vibes. Located at 351 West Bay Drive, Largo, Florida, 33770. Their phone is 727-240-4420. Um, that is next to near Ulmer Park. That's in the downtown Largo. They call it the Old Northwest area. And I'm going to pull up some uh, some menu items here for us to discuss here real quick. Yeah, and they just opened. Today was the second day. And you know what's really cool? They're going to have music on Friday and Saturdays, right? They're going to have in the afternoon. So yeah, they're going to have like live that. music and play some um, Calypso music, some Jamaican music. Not to mention, they also have happy hour, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, Every yeah. day, happy hour. So I believe that's from 2 to 4. So you definitely check out their menu. Bobby, go ahead and give us some of the stuff that they got on their menu. Well, they got grand opening lunch specials right now. Um, that is for $5, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. There's a whole menu with that. Um, the grand opening is actually on this Sunday. So uh, please join us. Join Nostalgic Radium Cars out there. Let's see. What else do we have here? Happy hour. Before it closed, weekdays. Um they got some pretty, and, they, and they're really good with their spicy seafood stuff. They got shrimp. They've got tilapia is tilapia. the fish. Um, they got anything from jerk shrimp, jerk chicken, um, oysters, raw oysters, traditional Cuban sandwich. So everything, burgers. And really, steak. they can suit any kind of any food lover that could ever walk in the door. Any food see. lover's appetite, including steak and onion sandwiches I saw in there somewhere. So that's pretty cool, too. So be sure and check out Island Vibes. One more time, Bobby. What's yes. the number? Island Vibes. And be sure and mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Say hi to Earl. Say hi to Carol. And don't forget, their grand opening this Sunday. Yes, this Sunday at 351 West Bay Drive, Largo, Florida, 33770. That's Island Vibes. You can visit them, islandvibes.com. Or call them at 727-240-4420. Right. And you know what? I think we ought to have a car show there someday, so that'd be pretty cool. Maybe Stay on a Tuesday tuned. night. Stay tuned. That's right. Hey, I want to go ahead and welcome the Cool Shop. Okay, if you guys are like me, and of course, you know, you're into this trivia stuff, you're into the old memorabilia, you're into models, you're into records, you're into movie posters, Star Wars, G.I. Joe, you name it, anything like that, check out The Cool Shop. They're located at 9265 Seminole Boulevard in Seminole, Florida, okay? And their phone number there is 727-201-9489. Jeff has got some pretty cool stuff there, so definitely check out The Cool Shop for some really cool old memorabilia there. Again, the number is 727 Four, eight, nine. I just thought I'd throw that in there real quick. All right, let me go back to my little magazine here. I was just reading this article on the uh, on the 66 Shelby, but I was paging through this month's issue. Something else caught my attention here, and that is Nose High Monster Buy. Now, here's a card that's kind of after my heart. Everybody digs a 4142 Willys. Okay, that is just one cool car. But the fine one that's a true vintage gasser with a real monster motor, a Ford 427 single overhead cam engine in it. That's a bad ride right there. This is definitely old school. I haven't had a chance to read the whole article, but I'm thumbing through it. Another car that caught my attention here, this is an old Boyd uh, Coddington car. It's a 1960 Mercury Colony Park. Now, Chris Dunn, if you're listening, because Chris owns Lincoln Land, Chris is in the Mercury Wagons. He's also in the Galaxy Wagons, and I'm in the Wagons. But let me tell you what's cool about a 60 Mercury Cougar, or Mercury Wagon, the Colony Park. It's a four-door hardtop. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, a four-door hardtop. That means there's no bars, no braces, no, you know, frames around the windows. It's just an open cruiser uh, hardtop wagon, and that's cool. And in fact, there's a lot of cars like that, because you're 57 Mercury Wagon, 58, 59. All the Mercury's were... Um, 
or open uh, hardtop wagons, which is pretty cool. But what's really cool, 60's got a really good-looking front end on it, huge front bumper. It's got a really cool taillight. And if you guys remember the movie Flubber with Fred McMurray, when he was bounce, when he was driving his, when he was hovering in his Model T, he was bouncing on the other teacher's uh, 60 Mercury uh, station wagon. Pretty cool piece. So, um, but anyway, so the article about the, uh, I mean, let me put it in perspective here. A 65 Shelby, a true 65 Shelby right now, not an R model. An R model is way over a million bucks, okay? Anything with race history is like, uh, just add a whole bunch of zeros to it. But a 65 Shelby right now, pulling a half a mil. That's a lot. So for a 66 Shelby, a barn find to pull 160 to 200 is probably not uncommon because a real nice 66 Shelby, Hertz car spe- specifically, will probably pull low twos now. And the thing about the Hertz Shelbys are, well, people don't realize, there was less than 100 of them that were actually factory four-speeds. The early, early, early cars, okay, had overriders on them, like the 65 Shelbys and the 60 uh, and the 66 carryovers. They all had the lowered suspension on them. Some of the early 66 cars had a steel hood. It was um, built and designed by a company called Pigeon. I believe that's who it was. They were out of uh, somewhere in the Los Angeles area. Ontario Fiberglass made some fiberglass for the... Uh, for the the like the quarter extensions and the hood scoops maybe for the fiberglass hoods on some of the Shelbys, but to find a, the holy grail of '66 Hertz Shelbys would be a early car with overriders, okay, a black and gold car, factory four speed, and a factory steel hood. That's a rare Shelby, okay, and uh, that car, those kind of cars, and I know of one of those could pull some serious money. Now speaking of Shelbys, tomorrow I'm actually going to be trekking down to Sarasota because I have to do an appraisal on a 1967 Shelby GT500 that this gentleman has owned since the early 70s. Now, it does not have the original motor. took a little tap on the front. Does that have the original four-speed in it? But it has a four-speed, and it has a four, what's presumed to be a 428 motor because the 390 and the 428, and the, well, 427 is pretty much side oilers. You know, they got the, the, the cross-bolt mains. But the 427, I mean, the early 427, a 390, a 352, a 410, any of those, uh, 406, you know, you can't really physically tell uh, an FE motor without pulling the heads off and measuring the bore. So don't let anybody tell you, hey, it's a 428, unless you know, for example, you can see inside and measure the bore, which is 413. The heads, on the other hand, have casting numbers. You can definitely tell a police interceptor head, a 390 GT head, or a Cobra jet head, and so on and so on and so on. So anyway, hey, if you guys uh, keep keep me in mind, okay, if you ever want to get an appraisal or something like that, visit our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. I do appraisals, diminished values, I do pre-purchase inspections. I do total losses. I eat, sleep, and drink cars, so this is kind of what I do. Of course, you know, I frequent a lot of the auctions, and I'm kind of in the loop as far as, you know, the values of these cars. And, yes, I am one of the state reps for the Shelby Club, so that's why I'm real real particular about those cars, as well as I'm pretty much a 356 Porsche guy. And um, so at any rate, Bobby, do we have our guest on the line? We have a, 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 a guest that dropped in. We have a guest that dropped in. He wants to tell you, to correct, make a correction. Uh-oh, uh-oh, this has got to be Alan. <laughs> oh. Yeah, hey. What? 428 is an externally balanced. Okay, well, now you're just elaborating on what I said another way. What a minute, 428? Yeah, but it, it has a different flywheel. It's got the wagon wheel flywheel on a, on a 428. But most people can't see that. All I'm saying but is that when you... the harmonic balancer that you can see? Well, no, a 390, a 390, a late 390, and a 428, okay, not a Super Cobra Jet, look identical. See? Mm. Yes. I say that, that big talk's worth doodly. Alan, that's what makes bets. <laughs> anyway, well, I, no. I got a 428 sitting underneath my shelves where you can take a look. Yeah, we need to go take a look at that, you know. But I'll yeah. tell you what, you're you're right though. But the but the but where I'm where I was going with my conversation is without going into a lot of details. How many times? Right. How many times have you and I been to a car show and somebody goes, "Yeah, I got a 428 in there." Really? Well, how do you know? Well, the guy said it was. Yeah. Okay, so let's jerk the head off. Let's measure the board well, you real know, quick. You, you, you just work with him. You go, look, it says 352 right here on the block. Oh, yeah, yeah. That'll get him going. <laughs> which it does. Which okay. it does. It does. Yeah. You know? and, okay. uh, well, I'm out of here. You're yeah. out of here? All right. Well, we'll talk to you yeah. later. Thanks for say, listening. Uh, out. Say hello oh, to Don Wells. I, yeah, I will do. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, but no, Alan's right on that. So, anyway, but... Uh, so let's see, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah, go to our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, and, uh, you know, tell your friends and everybody that, uh, hey, you guys need an appraisal valuation or whatever, give us a call down here. I should promote that a little bit more. 
So anyway, that's why I took the liberty a little bit today, and uh, I figured I'd elaborate on the, on, the, on the Shelby here because I thought that was kind of an interesting article. Now, let me go back to Monterey. What I thought was kind of cool is uh, if you go to our Facebook page, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, you can – I don't know how to make this thing go away here, Bobby. It's not what uh, – Oh, it, I think it, that thing scrolls with it. Does it scroll with it? Okay. So anyway, so uh, – well, so much for that idea. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, I was going to give you a rundown of, of some of the things to do in Monterey Car Week. And what we started talking about last week – oh, yeah, I was talking about the A-bar, the A-bar stuff with the auction and the auction prices and stuff like that. I will say that at Mecham's, okay, all the foreign cars pretty much brought strong money. The foreign, so whether you were at Rick Cole's auction, whether you were at Mecham's auction, whether you were at Gooding's auction, whether you were at uh, Bonham's auction, whether you were at RM's auction, um, they just brought you – know, the foreign cars brought all the money. There was a car that was, speaking of Rick Coles, Rick Coles auction is at the uh, Marriott downtown, uh, Monterey. There was a car that was in there that I thought was kind of interesting. Back in the 60s, okay, back in the 60s, everybody knows what a mid-year Corvette is. A mid-year Corvette is from 1963 to 1967. Okay, so that was a pretty popular car, and that was an expensive car at the time. It was $5,000 roughly, and a Jaguar, an E-type Jaguar, was also in that same price range. A Porsche... A 356, not a 911. A Porsche 356 was just a hair under four grand, which was a lot of money for a little four-cylinder car that was perceived to have a Volkswagen engine. Although everything in a 356 is a Porsche, the 911 came out was actually built in 62, 63. The prototype 64. There were some early cars that came out in Europe. 65. They brought a few more out. So the early 911s of 60, and there was only 200 and some of those. 200 and some. 200 and 200 cars plus 64 911s, early ones. Then there were 65 911s. But from what I understand, I have to say that, I have to preface by saying that, the 911 hit Europe in 64, 65. Some very, very lucky guys got some 64 cars. 65 was the normal production year for the car. 66 was the first year that the car was introduced in the United States. Okay, so they have the car being introduced in the United States in 1966, because whatever comes out in Europe in 65, we get the following year. Now, Bobby and I had a, a 65 911 back in the day, okay, that we found, which was a true barn find. And I probably ought to put pictures up, but I'm going to write an article about this car. But let me tell you the story about this. This is real interesting. We were cruising around in St. Pete, and I was going down one of the alleys because I was notorious for the alleys, okay? So don't get your hopes up because they're getting slim and slim and slim because the word's out right now. Everybody's trying to find barn find cars. And for the most part, luckily, which I've done for years, they leave them alone, which is good. You don't restore a barn find car, particularly if it's a pretty decent piece. Anyway, so this 911 was relatively rough. As it turned out, I checked the serial number, and I determined that the car was a 65 production car. Okay, now, in the United States, if a car comes out in September or August, and it's, it's a let's say, a 65, it's considered entitled as a 66. In Europe, all the way until 1231, if the car is built in 1965, it's still a 1965. It doesn't become a 1966 car in Europe until January 1 of 19. 19- 66 when the new year commences okay that's how it works over there so the long and short of it is this car was built i guess i'm guessing because by the serial number somewhere between july august now the porsche shuts the factory down in um august late july august and they take a three-week vacation and they set up for retooling and stuff like that so we had bought this car we had this car sitting around for a long time a friend of mine called me up one day and said i wanted to buy uh, asked me if i wanted to buy my 356 back and since i had 356 stuff laying around. It was easier for me to fix a 356 than it was a 911. All we were going to do with the 911 anyway, which was a fairly original car, a factory polo red car with a black interior, and it actually had dealer-installed air. Interesting. Uh, we were just going to kind of make a road race car out of it, you know? We weren't going to restore it. So is it break time again? Yeah, but this guy's coming in concert soon, which we're going to tell you about later. Oh, okay. Well, we're going to take a break here for a few minutes, and then I'm going to come back and tell you my 9-11 story, because it actually started here in Florida, wound up in California, and ended up in Monterey. So, hey, don't touch that dial. You're tuning into Nostalgic Reading Cars. We'll be right back.
listeners. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Car sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Okay, we're back, and you tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And let's see, where was I? I was, I was talking about the 911. Okay, so here's the deal. So uh, anyway, long and short of it, I decided to sell the 911. And uh, I advertised it on eBay. It bid up to $20,000, and the guy didn't come through. It went to some guy overseas, or some guy overseas bid on it. Relisted it. It bid to 20000 the second time, and uh, that guy didn't come through. Long and short of it, I finally had to make a quick move here because I didn't want to lose the, the 356. So I called a friend of mine in California. And he told a buddy about his, and he called me up, and then he says, yeah, it sounds interesting. And uh, like in a day, he was out here on an airplane, looked at it, and bought it. Okay, so now it's on its way to Napa. That was two years ago, two, three years ago, whenever it was. Well, this year, I uh, I still had Hen's name, super nice guy, and he's got an amazing Porsche collection, all early 911s. And uh, so uh, I bumped into him while I was out there in Monterey. He was on uh, Tuesday at Concours on the Avenue. We were sitting there talking for a while. And he was telling me about the car, and he actually had it consigned at Bonham's auction. And he said the car was going to be running through there. He had a $200,000 reserve on the car, and uh, he said, if I just sold the car two years ago when the market was really, really, really hot on Porsches, it probably would have brought a quarter of a million dollars. He got the COA on it. The COA stands for Certificate of Authenticity. Okay, In the old days in Porsche world, okay, if you were in Germany, you would get what they call a card dex on it, which is a handwritten card that has basically the VIN number, the engine number, you know, how the car was ordered, you know, what color, in color interior, the wheels, mirror options, radio, seats, you know, all that kind of stuff, whether it had headrest, no headrest, you know, wood wheel, no wood wheel, sunroof, no sunroof, you know, rally wheels, folks wheels, uh, steel wheels, air conditioning, no air conditioning, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's what a car decks does, but nowadays they have a certificate of authenticity. So pretty much when you read up on Porsches, you know, people talk about, well, hey, I got a COA on it. We know exactly what they're talking about. It's kind of like a, uh, it's, it's, or through Porsche, Porsche of North America, through Porsche uh, AG in Germany, and it's kind of like a, uh, Kind of like a build sheet. And it's not a build sheet. It's just kind of a um, a uh, fact sheet on the car, okay, like a production sheet. And they give it to you in a nice little packet and all this kind of stuff. By the way, the Porsche has a facility here in Atlanta, which we're going to go up to one day, and they have Porsche. You can sign up. You can go to drive their cars on the track. They have a museum there. They have Porsche Classic, which is where they restore Porsches. Pretty cool. And we're going to have somebody from Porsche Classic. In fact, I might have uh, Ray... Uh, who used to be the uh, sales manager for Brumos, come on our show one day and talk a little bit about the Porsche thing, the Porsche uh, uh, facility in Atlanta. But anyway, all right, so now here's my car. I'm reunited with my car. i got to put those pictures up there. Reunited with my 65 911, and I was right. So it's a mid-production car. It was a legit 1965 car built in July of 1965. So that's a bona fide uh, 1965 911. And uh, so that was pretty cool. But the title, the title said 1966. I have no idea why. Because the car, even though it was built in July of 65, the car wound up in, uh, now you know what? I can't remember now. I, gotta, I, I better not say that. The car didn't get sold in the United States until 66. So the way it works is the year that it was registered is probably why that car was titled, I believe, in 66. And I got to look. I don't remember. I got a copy of it somewhere. But a lot of times what happens, there's an actual body number on the car and there's an engine number on the car. And a lot of European cars, depending on when they come through customs or they're being checked in, depending who the distributor was, so on and so on, they could have had either the engine number on the car or, 
and this I'm talking 1955 cars and newer, they could have had the engine number on the car, or they could have actually been, you know, if they were diligent, they would do the body number. Now, and I'll use a Mercedes SL as an example, okay, because a Mercedes SL has a number stamped in the frame, but there's also a number on the engine. And then there's also a body number, okay, that's at, but it's just totally irrelevant. So you could have three possibilities on a Mercedes 190SL as an example. But a Porsche, if anything, you'd have two. One on the engine block and, of course, the VIN number, which is on the door, you know, or in the door jam, which is where they typically are located. But it was really, really cool because Hen had restored this car amazingly well. It was a red car, black interior, leather interior, gorgeous, gorgeous car. It was really cool. I sat in that car at Bonham's for about... 10 minutes making little noises, pretending I was shifting it, you know, kind of like we did when we were kids, going womp, womp, womp. That was kind of cool. And I was just sitting there, just kind of trying to imagine, closing my eyes, just trying to imagine what it would like to have taken possession of this car when it was brand new on the showroom floor in 1965. How cool would that have been? Because this car looked flawless and was done meticulously to perfection. I think any Porsche connoisseur, Porsche aficionado would have been thrilled to have this car, this 911, this 1965 911. In fact, what was really interesting is the doors opened and closed like they were perfect. And oftentimes, when you take a car apart, you know, you struggle with the hinges and stuff, and they don't always open and close like they did when they rolled off the assembly line. And a lot of times, you know, that's kind of like a running joke. You know, a lot of a lot of us guys will walk up to a car, and I don't care whether it's a 65 Lincoln Continental, a 65 Porsche, or a or a Datsun, or something like that. You open and close the doors, they have a sound to them, just a unique sound a car does when it's original and it's never been dismantled and it's never been messed with. It's just, it's original. It's just got a thunk. Mercedes has probably the thunk of thunks, okay, because it's probably got the coolest sound. Right, Bobby? You've been with me. We looked at a number of Mercedes. Definitely. We I used to have a, a 280SL. I had a couple of them over the years. And when you would close the door, it would just go thunk. Just had that solid sound to it. Of course, they have a unique hinge system anyway, Mercedes does. And, um, and Porsches, you know, you have to slap them just a little bit, but they work real good. But an American car, you know, you get, grab a 65 Mustang. We've got one of those that's uh, original. When you open and close the doors, it just goes thunk. Now, Alan, if he's listening, he'll probably say, well, wait a minute. Don't forget Volvos. Don't forget Volvos. And, uh, you know, Volvo's a pretty solid car. Alan's got a P1800 over there, or 1800S. I can't remember which one's which because I get it ma- mixed up because he'll call in now that I said it wrong. That's usually what he does. And uh, so, but when you open and close the door in his car... Oh, there wow. we go. <laughs> what did I tell you? What did I tell you? So it's anyway. So uh, he uh, he'll he'll tell me that uh, you know the door on that when you open and close it, and it does. It has a thunk. Let me guess, Alan, right? Yeah. All right, Alan. Volvo 1800 or 122, you can close the door with one finger. With one finger, that's exactly right. Because they're built, you know, they're they're quality. The older ones are built great. They're like tanks. Yeah, exactly, and they uh, they're solid cars. Are heavy? Are almost all? Are, are they're all unibodies? Aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. They're like my um, my eighteen hundred. It's got five pieces: the body, mm-hmm. hood, fender. Uh, excuse me, hood, deck lid, doors. Yeah. Oh, you mean? So, Go ahead. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's the body itself is you know you can drop it down a cliff, whatever. It doesn't matter. You can still bolt the doors back. That's cool. Yeah. Alan, you'd appreciate this. While I was bumming around in, in, in my old neck of the woods in California where I live in Santa Fe, I drive up Graceland Drive every year, okay? Well, that same Volvo four-door has been sitting there for five years, has the same Black Widow's nests on it. Now it's got more because they bred, okay? It has not moved. But while I was coming around the corner, and I got pictures of it somewhere, I'm going to put it in a, there was a Maserati, uh, let's see, the Indy is the six-cylinder coupe, right? The Mistral was the convertible, right? No, the Mistral, Mistral is convertible in a coupe. Is it? Yeah, yeah, they made like a hundred and some convertibles and however many coupes. That was a straight six. Uh, and the Indy is also a straight six, but it wasn't as desirable. Okay, well, I can't, all right, I'm going to say this. It was a coupe, and it's one of the two. Black car, red interior, windows down, just sitting there alongside of the road, uh, parked parked partially on the sidewalk and then down the road a little ways was a was a tr6 real pretty dark blue one just sitting there top down you know windows down everything like that out in the day you know in the day and then behind that two houses down was a jensen interceptor now what is the likelihood of and i was in san rafael i was like uh you know i'm two hours away from monterey and monterey i expect to see that but in san rafael it's not like you expect to see those kind of cars the jensen was unusual but the maserati is really what floored me to see that car sitting there because that's a big money car now 
I'm sure you got a picture of it, right? I certainly did, because thinking of you. Yeah, okay, I'll look at it eventually. Yeah, and then, of course, the Volvo, which I take a picture of that every year. It just sits there with, uh, you know, it's got expired plates on it, and they haven't even... Yeah, I remember that from last year. Yeah, yeah, so interesting. Yeah. But anyway, so you'd be pleased to know that the 1800 ESs are, wagons are creeping up in value. They're now in the 20s, firmly in the 20s. That cheap? That cheap. <laughs> And the uh, early 1800s. Now, what's the what do they call the the, so the, the bumpers? Ones, the Jensen cars are P1800s. First, yeah. six thousand of them, and then after that, the 1800s. That's for Sweden. That's for Sweden. Okay. Yeah, mine's an S65, but it's still getting, the body's still made by pressed steel, and it's got British wiring in it. It's got three fuses. Oh, P for yeah. pressed steel and S for Sweden. No, no, okay. A P for is for um, means Jensen. Means Jensen. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's how you say a Jensen car is a P. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Now, did which which ones did they? What what do they call the front bumpers? Are they called cowbells or something like that? Uh, they, cowbells. Yeah. They got no, yeah. time to eat, Robert. No, they're called bullhorns. <laughs> no, they have a name for them. What do they call? Is it cowbells? No, bullhorn. It is called bullhorn. Yeah, I thought I said that. Okay. Well, I thought you did. <laughs> I'm just making you say it again. I heard you the first time. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Articulate, I'll say it one more time. Oh, I forgot. Never mind. Okay. But anyway. That is not what we program here. <laughs> but, uh, Alan, the thing that killed me out there when I was at this little car show, it's called the Little Car Show, okay? Yeah. This is I how. This, yeah. yeah, okay, and small bore cars, you know, basically. There was a DKW there I thought was kind of cool with a sliding sunroof, you know, a cloth roof. But the thing that blows my mind is some of the things. Now, those guys in California got too much time on their hand. I, 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 the last thing I expect to see, well, a Volkswagen four-door transporter, okay, is an expensive truck, an early split window, okay? But when you go to yeah. the extremes of putting an electric motor in it, now you've kind of crossed the threshold. Well, okay. actually, that was a bus they put the motor in, and you can put it back to original. They only have two. No, it wasn't. Well, yeah, it was the bus, but it was the transporter. It wasn't the, it wasn't a, a van. No. Okay. I got pictures of it. It's a bus. It's I mean, it's a green and white one, right? It's green, but it's not a bus. It's a transporter with the size okay, of full well, down. They also got a bus out there, too. Oh, do they? Okay. And yeah. then, okay, then I'm walking down there, and there was four MGB GTs, okay? And one yeah. of them I was staring at, and I was going, well, this, well, I'm trying to figure out what year it is because the dash is different, the bumpers are different. Yeah. It's kind of like a hodgepodge of thing. And then he says, yeah, it's a 69 with, uh, no, it's a 73 with early bumpers, and he changed the dash out, and he went to the pillow dash. I mean, he did a bunch of stuff. But the thing that caught caught my my attention was the fact that he, it, on the back deck lid, it said electric. He actually went and put an electric motor in it. And then the piece de resistance, yeah, the piece de resistance was when I was walking up behind, checking out the the th Ferrari three hundred eight, which that's the last car I expect to see at the little car show. You know, with Izettas and and Fiat Multiplas and DKWs. Well, yeah, okay, but anyway, so it's a, it, the Dina, it was a uh, 308, but the license plate said EV, 308 EV, and I'm going, no way. Sure enough, I walk up to it, and it's electric motor powered. So there's well, three the, vehicles. Well, the GT4 doesn't really matter anyway. No, it was a 308 GT S. GTS, oh, okay. Yeah, it was a Spider. you know, it was like the okay. uh, Tom Selleck and, uh, what was that, Magnum PI car. So, you know, and here a guy goes and takes that. So there's three vehicles, the bus, which is very unique, the MGB, which is odd to have yeah. an electric motor, and the Ferrari, it's like you got too much time on your hands. Yeah, with the Ferrari, too, you see it drive by and go, hey, rev it up. <laughs> rev it It reminds me when we used to go to the DuPont Registry and the guy brought out the very first Tesla, the ugly little Lotus, the least looking piece of crap. Okay, mm -hmm. and, I, and I didn't buy into it. And it was just, an, they're an ugly car to begin with. Sorry, no offense to you Lotus guys, but that's just an ugly car. And I don't care if Hennessy makes it the world's fastest car. It's still an ugly car, okay? Um, and there are some cars that are just ugly, and that's one of them, okay? I mean, yeah, I... It takes, yeah, it takes no more effort to design a good-looking car than it does an ugly car. Yeah, so by... Time, they're designing an ugly car. Yeah, by... The guy that designed the Miura probably had less effort than the guy that designed the Toyota Echo. <laughs> probably. Oh, speaking of designers, um, guess who was out there and who I had a chance to talk to, and I'm going to invite him on the show. You'll enjoy this. Tom Tom Chiarda, who designed the Pantera. All right. And the and the and the De Tomaso Longchamp, and he did it. Oh yeah. Well, I can't say that this is a. I wouldn't. I wouldn't brag about this, but he did design the X19, 
not that that was a great car, but keep in mind, you know, he's he was he's he's of Dutch descent. He worked in Detroit, and he did he he the Pantera is his big claim to fame, and uh, yeah. the Fiat X19. Okay, for a little car, for something a little That's cheap, a little guy, mid, yeah. for a mid-engine car, it wasn't a bad deal. You know, it was yeah. well, X19 for the guy that couldn't afford a Countach. Yeah, <laughs> Periscope, car, of course. <laughs> Periscope yeah. car. Yeah, Periscope yeah. car only brought uh, didn't break a half a million out there. I'm sure you were disappointed to hear that. Really? Yeah, I thought I thought that, like a million dollar car. Well, it, did, it was a no sale at uh, 480 or something like that. I thought for sure that car would bring close to, or maybe it was more than that. But it, whatever it is, it didn't it didn't it didn't hit the reserve. But it's one of those you can say a million basically. Yeah, well, that's like the guy that I was when I was at uh, Fantasy Junction, and the guy's standing there, and he's looking at this Ferrari uh, 330 GTC, and the guy goes, "So, uh, you know, it's original car, smells new inside, you know, silver car, red interior, and stuff." And the guy goes, "So, uh, what's the price?" And just like this, just nonchalant, just as casual as a million dollars, a million dollars, like it's nothing. I mean, you know. At that point, I mean, I was standing 10 feet away. I'd looked at the car, but a million dollars. What's a million bucks? You know, a million bucks when I buy a Ferrari? Ah, some change. You know, I mean, it's just like, wow. So the, the, you, it, it's hard to kind of grasp that a little bit, but uh, that's kind of where those cars are in that world. But like I was talking earlier on the show today about, the, you know, the article here in uh, American Car Collector about the, you know, barn find 66 Shelby carryover car for 160K. In fact... Uh, like I was telling you, or mentioning earlier on the show, I've got to go test, uh, do a test drive and then do an appraisal on one tomorrow. But then another one of my customers called me up. His dad, and you know the car. I'm not going to mention any names on the radio because I want to keep it quiet. His dad also has a 66 carryover, original car. He's owned it since, I don't know, since the 70s, bought it in 1972, and it came from Texas. So you know it's a dry, solid car. And uh, they're not selling it. They just need a number on it. Well, it's 160 to start right now. So that's pretty... Yeah. That that's a you know when he paid fifteen hundred bucks for it. Yeah. Hey. Hey. By the way, economics. Okay. Yeah. You got a ten year old Impala. The transmission yeah. dumps, right? Yeah. It's the transmission cost is half the price what the car is worth, right? Yeah. Well, you got a sixty five GT three fifty. The transmission takes a dump. That's like two percent of what the car is worth. So therefore, it's economical to buy an expensive car like that because. Because if you do the math, the parts are cheaper. Absolutely. And by the way, the, the aluminum T10 on the Shelby's were 15 grand. Hey, I'm going to let you go, Alan. Hey, I okay. want to thank everybody for tuning into Nostalgic Wheeling Cars. Don't touch that dial. No, go ahead. Touch that dial. We're leaving here in a minute. But anyway, don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreetMotorsports.com. Don't forget to check out our podcast, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, Gulfstream Motorsports and Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Tell your friends to tune in our show every Tuesday night for the most fascinating legendary names in motorsports. 7 and 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. Telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you ten dollars if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. They broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen.